The medical information communicated in this podcast is of a general educational nature. If you are feeling unwell, please seek the attention of a medical practitioner. Any advertisements promoted throughout the podcast are not endorsed by the presenter or any of the guests interviewed. Hi there, welcome to MediTalk, a medical podcast talking all things medical in a way that you can understand. You're with Danae. Diets, what to believe? There's just so many of them we're being marketed. Atkins, Zone, Keto, Paleo, Vegan, Raw Food, High Protein, Low Carb, No Sugar, and now Intermittent Fasting. I'm exhausted just saying them. All these diets promise to help us lose weight and feel great. If you're like me, I love reading and hearing about the latest diets, but at the same time, it can make me feel completely confused and overwhelmed about what I should and shouldn't be eating. So I thought with the festive season upon us and coming into the new year, many of us will have resolutions that involve losing weight and getting fit. So today we speak with dietitian Sarah Flanagan, who has worked both overseas and in Australia as a dietitian in public hospitals and in the private sector. Sarah was also the Public Health Dietitian of the National Heart Foundation of Australia for over two years. Sarah kindly is going to help us shed some truth on diets and dieting. So we're with Sarah Flanagan, dietitian, and we're going to ask some questions about diets because everyone's talking about them. We're sort of bombarded by radio, by print, you know, today, tonight, all the programs are telling us what diets we need to be on and why. So I just thought we'd have a general chat about diets and what what should we believe? What's fact? What's fiction? So why is it that we all seem to be struggling with our weight? Well, I think we are definitely struggling and the statistics are there to suggest that, you know, three quarters, uh, two thirds of Australians are struggling with their weight. Um, But we live very much in an obesogenic society today, um, which means we have... uh, I never before had such affordable access to energy-dense foods, uh, so we're able to get those calories into us, but we're also extremely sedentary. So the combination of access to food and uh, inactivity is definitely our worst enemy. And is there a genetic component to our weight? So, for instance, you know, people that perhaps have a family, uh, do you see it in families where people struggle with their weight? Yeah, sure. Genetics definitely have a role to play, and we can see trends in families of certainly body shape, body composition. Um, But having a genetic propensity for weight gain doesn't mean that it sealed your fate and you can be working hard to to do better and to manage your weight better than perhaps your parents and your grandparents have. So uh, all hope is not lost. But how would we actually know we're at a healthy weight or not? I mean, is it BMI? Is it looking at our height and weight? There's no one simple measure and it's definitely the BMI is the one that gets uh, a lot of the um, attention. It's a pretty simple calculation that looks at um, our weight compared to our height but it has limitations and one of the biggest limitations is it doesn't differentiate between your weight from lean muscle mass and your weight from body fat. So a person who's very muscular and take for example a bodybuilder, if we calculated their BMI they'd come out as very obese obese but we know that that actually it isn't accurate assessment yeah Um, and that it's their muscle mass that's making them look like they're obese uh, by BMI but they actually have low health risks and they're certainly not obese so that's one of the uh, limitations of BMI and um, so for that reason we tend to use other uh, measurements as well Mm -hmm. such as um, your waist to hip ratio which looks more at body fat distribution because we know that when people have a waist measurement that's significantly larger than their hips 
Um, it's generally an indicator they have a lot of visceral fat, which is a type of fat around our organs, which increases our risks of disease, such as diabetes and heart disease. So if I was to go on that machine that I'm looking at here, would that be looking at the fat around my organs? Yes, absolutely. So that's a DEXA scan. Yes, and... I was just thinking it's awfully large. <laughs> it's like a giant <laughs> photocopier. That's, that's right. So it gives us a really good um, uh, uh, picture of what's muscle, what's bone, and what's fat. And uh, it looks at uh, also what's visceral fat or fat around organs and what's uh, fat that's subcutaneous, which is uh, more the external fat that we grab. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's the visceral fat, the internal fat, which is really increasing our health risks and that's the type of fat we really want to get down. So can you actually appear to not have physical fat uh, that you can physically see but have fat around your organs? Is that Absolutely. possible? Yeah, it is possible. Oh. Um, but we generally will see that the person who appears to be overweight will have a lot of visceral fat and the person well. who appears to be quite slim will have less, but it doesn't rule it out and yeah. it's absolutely worth knowing. Yeah. Uh, yes. I've never thought of it before, but I've thought, yeah, it <laughs> might be worth having one of those. It's a bit confronting. <laughs> it is, that's right. So is weight around our tummy cause for concern? Yes, so at the weight around the middle, uh, particularly the visceral fat we were just talking about, mm. has been linked to increased risks for diabetes and heart disease. And heart disease is Australia's number one killer, so I think we really do need to be careful of visceral fat and that abdominal obesity being um, an indicator that that's an issue. And is it a part of the body where fat likes to be stored? Is why is it that it's mm. it's always seems to be the hardest fat to yeah. let go of when we're trying to lose weight? Look, um, ab abdominal fat distribution is typically a male shape, and it is. Uh, the type of fat which is more linked to health consequences and one of the reasons we see more of those um, health issues like heart disease in men. Mm. Um, but for women, once we go through menopause and the hormonal changes, we'll see that weight move up as well and, and our um, risks increase as that weight becomes more abdominal for us okay. also. So it's something that really all of us should be more mindful of. I haven't really... Absolutely. Getting out that tape measure and checking our tummies. So, yeah. Does having a bad diet cause disease? Is there, are you talking about heart disease? Yeah, poor diets can absolutely increase your risk of disease. Um, in fact, the diseases that it increases the risk for are the ones that are most impacting our health and our, um, our life. Uh, so that's the heart disease, certain types of cancer, diabetes. They're all being impacted by diet. So having a poor diet will increase your risks. Yeah, and bariatric surgery? Prior to bariatric surgery, are they? Uh, do you try and sort of look at reducing their weight? Mm. So for a number of people, the surgeons like them to um, go on at what we call a VLCD or a very low calorie diet in preparation for surgery. And a lot of people would know of that as a product like OptiFast. Mm. And um, what um, they're trying to achieve by going on a VLCD before surgery is to reduce liver volume. So one of the okay. things that happens when you're on a very low calorie diet is that you go into ketosis and your body will start to tap into the stores that are of energy in your liver. And uh, they're quite bulky though, it's stored glycogen, stored fat. And as we uh, use those stores up, the liver 
reduces in size, which is uh, really helpful for the surgeons because it's sitting right where they're trying to operate. Okay. So a large liver makes it very, very difficult for them to access the stomach. And so by reducing liver size, we can make that surgery safer, quicker and better. What's more important when we're controlling our uh, weight? Is it diet, exercise or both? I think they're both uh, equally very, very important. And I think to do one without the other is perhaps not that effective. Um, but what we're seeing is that weight control is multifaceted and really complex, and it's not as simple as diet and exercise. And I think there's a lot to be learned. Uh, my observation is that stress and mental health plays a huge role in people's weight. Mm. And um, I think that we need to be looking more at that. And I think we're gonna also um, see a lot more work being done around uh, the gut microbiome and Im impact of that on, on body weight. Yes. Um, I think we're going to see a lot more research being done in those other areas of our life and lifestyles, which aren't just diet and exercise and yes. um, seeing how that's affecting our weight. Yeah. Is there psychological factors to weight gain? Yeah, well, we do see uh, people who are struggling with depression and anxiety will often use food to um, manage their mood. So if they're de if they're getting um, a, an increase in anxiety or, a, or dropping into a lower mood, food can really help stabilise. Just the act of eating brings people into the moment, takes their mind off what, what might be bothering them um, and can really assist. But mm -hmm. more than that, certain foods, particularly sweet and fatty foods, give us a, a, a release of a chemical in our brain which actually makes us feel better so it becomes a really nice fix when you aren't feeling good yeah. to, to go and grab something to eat feel good for a moment and then it passes and you're looking again to try and have some more and that uh, becomes a real coping strategy that's overused mm. um, and and naturally boosts um, cal calorie intake and leads to weight weight problems when it's um, being done all the time. And are some of the medications too that people... Absolutely. There are certain yeah. medications that can increase appetite and that doesn't help either. No, that's right. Is there such a thing as being a sugar addict, food addict? That seems to be a lot of banter yes. around that at the moment, like, oh, I'm a sugar addict. I'm a I think we all think we're addicts. <laughs> but th there is a um, bit of science behind the notion that sugar is addictive and it's not just sugar. In fact, um, sugary, fatty foods are, are the most palatable and addictive of all. And, um, and is it true that there's food scientists at these big <laughs> companies sort of clever enough to figure out how much fat and sweet food will I, make us want I, more? I do suspect that is happening for yeah. sure because it's that combination of fat and sugar. When it's just right, it, it really increases palatability yes. and uh, also gives that really good release of feel-good chemicals in our brain. It makes us want to go back and have more. Mm. And they found that um, withdrawal of these sorts of foods can trigger the same physical and um, psychological responses to as, as drug withdrawal. Wow. So it's very, very powerful. Very powerful, mm. yeah. And that's probably why we find it so hard as well. We do. <laughs> um, and in terms of diets, there's a lot of talk about high protein, low carb, special diets for blood types, the keto, the intermittent fasting. Mm. Which one to believe? It's so confusing, I isn't know. it? Well, 
fad diets, and I, I lump them all into the fad diet terminology, they're really easy to market. They, they offer a quick, simple fix. They've usually got some particular um, idea which seems really interesting and mm. new. They promise the world. And in, in many cases, you do get some weight loss. But mm. the problem is, is that they are often expensive, unsustainable, and in the long term, quite unhealthy. Mm. So eventually people come off the diet and then they regain their weight, usually with a little bit of extra weight as well. And it starts the upward spiral of, of their weight. Um, what we do know is that diets don't work. And mm. so someone who starts a diet today will be heavier in five years than if they just had have left it alone. And that's wow. quite a scary statistic, isn't it? That and, is. And we see that in our weight loss surgery practice. Everyone that walks in the door is carrying, you know, 20, 30, 40 kilos plus extra weight. Um, and they've done all of those diets yeah. and often really successfully lost um, 20, 30, 40 kilos at a time, um, but then regained it often mm. with a little bit more and then tried another fat diet, lost it again and then regained it and it generally pushes their weight up and up and up mm. uh, because they just can't keep it off. So what we do know is that uh, if you're wanting to sort of get the best diet, we look at population studies and look at what diets have the better um, uh, population weights, better health outcomes, and it always leads us back to the Mediterranean and the Asian-style diets. Okay. So there's a common link between those two, and it's the use of um, fresh seasonal um, fruits and vegetables as the mainstay of the diet, mm. um, lots of you know, fibre and whole grains and legumes and nuts and um, it, it's often a much slower way of eating as well. So yeah. food's celebrated, it's enjoyed, there's very little access to fast food and um, processed foods as a daily indulgence mm. um, and uh, food is often eaten quite mindfully as well. So you sit down and you actually eat food together and mm. enjoy it and get that really good satiety response which we don't tend to do enough of. Uh, and as you're speaking, all I think of um, if you're lucky enough and you've I don't know, been to Italy or watched Jamie Oliver's latest <laughs> with the cooking with the nonnas. It's all about making pasta from fresh, mm. sitting down with loved ones, eating food yeah. with simple ingredients. Yeah, I wish we could all live that way. <laughs> <laughs> and over in the Mediterranean. I'd love to do that. So move to Italy and eat, eat like they but do. But, yeah, it's, uh, as you say, so just follow some simple guidelines. Yeah, I think if I was going to give some simple guidelines, it would be to try and avoid processed foods um, as much as you can, to eat simply eat whole um, foods that nature gives you and, yeah. uh, and and try and eat mindfully, eat uh, foods that you enjoy and eat it um, in a way that you're getting full sort of enjoyment out of it, both mentally and, and physically. So how do we survive going into the festive season and not put too much weight on? Is that about being mindful? Um Look, I think we've got to always remember that the festive season, Christmas and New Year, it represents a couple of days in the year. Yeah. And um, I encourage my patients to have a really nice time on those days and enjoy the special foods and activities with their friends and families. But um, they are only a few days of the year and it's getting back on track in between times, which is seem, seems to be the problem. Mm. And I find that a lot of people that struggle with their weight are all or nothing thinkers. They, we call it dichotomous thinkers. They're black, they're white, they're all on with their diet or they're all off with their diet and often in the period moving up to Christmas they've been pretty good but as soon as they start eating the treats and they're having, having the odd drink and the snack foods are happening they're in their mind the diet is ruined everything's uh, 
bad and so they just give in to it and mm. it becomes a, um, a new way of eating that sort of lasts for weeks and weeks and weeks over the Christmas New Year period before they sort of think, oh, gosh, I better do something about this and the switch flips back and mm. they get back on track again. And I find that really unhelpful. I think that if we could all just be um, enjoying the moment and enjoying those few days over Christmas and New Year and then switching back to our normal way of eating would be a lot better off yeah of course and i think it's not giving ourselves a hard time if we yeah. as you say enjoy the odd few days with our family and friends yeah. eating drinking but as you say it can't be this endless yes. every day eating like that that's right and i hope if if you give yourself permission to enjoy yourself over those few days you then can uh accept it and not think it's all ruined and i just may as well just eat what i like now yes. that you can actually go okay well i've done it and now i'm going to get back to the normal routine and the, the impact will be minimal yes and what about for parents what are the tips for making sure there's not too much sugar and too much salt over the festive season, not yeah. just for themselves but for their kids as well. Well, my advice to parents would be keep that fridge and pantry stocked with really good stuff for your kids. Um, kids are a little bit lazy when it comes to food and they'll grab the first thing that they can find. And if you've got beautiful, fresh foods that they enjoy, so lots of fruits, particularly if it's chopped up fruit, kids will eat that more than, than whole fruit. Yeah. Um, make it visible, accessible. Um, they will grab that because that's, that's what's there. If it's not there, they'll grab the next best thing that they see. And often at this time of year, there's boxes of chocolates, yeah. chips, biscuits. It's all going to be around. And what around. about the yogurts, those squeezy yogurts I see a lot of the kids having now? Are they, is there high sugar? Should there be, can be. Could there be something on the back that maybe parents should look out for? How much sugar should kids be having? Right. So yogurts is one of the things when they're flavoured yogurts, they can become quite high in sugar. And, um, you know, being a dairy food, they are good for kids, yeah. but it is quite helpful to try and find the yogurts that have got less fat, fat in them. So yeah. we're always, uh, sorry, not less fat, I should say less Low sugar, sugar yeah. uh, in them. And um, reading the label on the back and comparing the products is quite helpful. And we're generally looking to try and get that fat content uh, less than 10 grams per 100 grams mm -hmm. um, for yogurts. So you can okay. just keep that level down a little bit. So that's for fat and sugar? Fat less than five, sugar less than ten. That's okay. my rule of thumb. But yeah, right. you, you you find that it's just a very general guide. Yes. So, you know, not getting too caught up in the numbers, no. but just trying to keep it down. And what about soft drink? That's a definite no-no for kids. Yeah. Uh, look, I think kids uh, can develop a habit around soft drinks. It's, if it's too easy, if it's too available, they will, um, you know, drink it too much. Yeah. But water is the best drink. And I'm constantly surprised at how kids actually really like water. And when yeah. they've been drinking soft drink for a while, they're actually quite relieved when they get a water and, and um, find that it's just that and much it's pretty better. Good at school nowadays walking around with their yeah. with their with their flasks I, th I find oh god i wasn't like that at school I, I think it's pretty good it's the same with sunscreen but i think the more children are seeing with big litre flasks and i think oh that's a great habit to get yeah, into. kids have got good habits with carrying water i think there's been a lot of work done to help encourage that um that drink water yeah. at school and out and about so i think we're we're on a winning we're on streak a, there yeah, that's a good thing but if we make it too accessible for soft drinks that's going to be an easy one for them to want to go to as well because they are yummy yes um so a bit like all christmas treats you, you might have them around for a few days and they, they they get out of the house and it's back to the water and so is there any sort of myths about diets and dieting that we might not know about that it'd be good to know about 
Well, there's um, there's lots of myths. Yes. But I think the one that I'd want people to really remember, and I know I've touched on it already, is that diets don't work. Yes. So trying not to get caught up into the next fad diet and think about um, long-term uh, sustainable changes. Sometimes they're just small things, but if we can work towards changing habits that are going to uh, mean that your behaviours change for the rest of your life, they're going to have much more of an impact than a short-term diet. So I'd be looking at what can you do to make a small improvement that's really achievable and conquer that yes. and then move on to the and next one. On. Mm. Okay. An example might be cutting, I don't know, sugar in your in your coffee, for instance, or not having soft drink at home. Or Absolutely. And it can be also about what you can do rather than what you shouldn't do. So it can be little things like making sure you have um, fruit and vegetables every day yes. and, and work on that one. And the more you do something, the more it's going to become a habit. Okay. And what about people that have had gastric surgery, um, whether that be they've got a lap band or they've had gastric sleeve, um, so they've had some sort of weight loss surgery, what are some you know, things that they need to be mindful of when eating around these festive times? Well, um, it's the same as for anyone else and they yeah. should enjoy the moment, enjoy the festivities, but there is that complication that their stomach size is that much smaller and particularly yes. those in the early stages post-surgery, it can be a little bit disappointing to think, goodness, Christmas comes once a year and I, I couldn't eat very much. Yeah. So my advice to my patients is, uh, is don't push it, um, eat small amounts that don't cause discomfort. But um, there's uh, a few hours later, you'll be able to eat again and perhaps pop something away that you really enjoy and have a little bit later on in the day. So yeah. they can spread it out a little bit more. So they can eat what normally everyone else is eating, but just smaller amounts, is that correct? That's the, they, that's the, the end result. Yes. Um, in, for those that have just had surgery, obviously they are not quite eating solid foods, so they'll mm. be on fluids for a while. Um, but once you're often uh, onto solids again, uh, we find that food variety is good mm. um, and there is actually generally in all of my patients they a desire to eat well because they can only eat small amounts they want to eat really well to get what they need mm. um, so it's just about working with um, with the volume that they have to get those nutrients in and it does mean eating a little bit more often okay fantastic well thank you so much for your time today my pleasure you've been listening to meditalk a podcast talking all things medical in a way that you can understand you can follow Meditalk Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. If you haven't yet, please take a minute to subscribe, rate and review this podcast via iTunes or your podcasting app. If you have any health topics you would like to hear discussed, please email them to danae at meditalk.com.au. Thanks for listening.